I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by FilmDivider.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and joining me this week is... James Hunt. This bonus episode arrives in the spot that our Age of Ultron podcast would have occupied, but as we brought you that one early, we had a space to fill, and we thought, what better than a bonus episode focused on Netflix's Daredevil? And then we realised we could do better. And that better comes in the form of a short interview with Charlie Cox, which will precede our Daredevil discussion. It's all very exciting. But before any of that, we've got yet another very special announcement. If you listen to our Avengers Age of Ultron podcast, you'll know that Seb is taking a podcast sabbatical due to his family expecting a new arrival. And uh, while we are very sad that Seb is not with us here today, we're delighted to announce that Seb's daughter Lois was born on Sunday, which we're sure you'll agree is a truly super name. (laughs) Super being the (laughs) operative word. (laughs) Um, And we are thrilled for him and his family. Uh, James and I will be back very shortly to discuss season one of Daredevil. But first, here's my interview with Charlie Cox, which took place last week, shortly after the news that Daredevil would be returning for a second season in 2016. Um, well, first of all, I guess congratulations on season two. Thank you so much. So we're seeing that in 2016. Yes, I imagine so, yeah. Do, do you know yet where that's going to fall in kind of the whole Defenders build-up? Is it going to be like... I don't know, I don't. I presume that, because I, I, you know, I imagine we'll be shooting that very soon. Mm. We'll probably go into production in, in June, July of this okay. year. So it'd be unlikely, that there's no way that I could do Defenders before then. Yes, yeah. So it'd be, the likelihood is that, this, that Daredevil 2 will come up before Defenders. But you never know, they yeah. could hold it. And was it something that when you signed up for the first season, were you contracted for future seasons as well as Defenders? Was yeah, all that options yeah, but that's very common. So I didn't, yeah. I didn't think that you know, I didn't assume that that um, that, that guaranteed any further seasons. Mm. In fact, I wasn't even sure if they intended to do further seasons because they've got such a big commitment with yeah. the Netflix Marvel collaboration being the first four and then the Defenders. So I was, you know, the, the, when 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 it was even being discussed or there were whispers of a second season, mm. I was I was. Uh, um, I was I was uh, uh, very very excited. Um, I also think having worked on the first season and witnessed how that what that storyline is and how Daredevil kind of evolves into 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 sorry Matt Murdock evolves into Daredevil mm. and how long we took with that journey. I think it's imp- I felt like it's going to be valid to have yeah. a, a season where you really get to get to live with Daredevil in his full persona before you meet the defenders. Yeah, and has there been any talk? Do you know like is it is it going to be? 
a fresh original story? Is it going to be something from the comics? You know, is there, is there already plans? No, for I, no, no they haven't. I'm, uh, all I know is that is that we're going to do a second season. Yeah, you know, that's the only thing that they've discussed. Obviously, I mean, I I, I don't even know whether there'll be a, a new villain or whether uh, Wilson Fisk will reappear. I Hopefully, know. yeah. That must have been really fun acting. Yeah, he's Vincent great. He's extraordinary. It's kind of a, some of the best scenes in the show when, like, uh, when you meet in the art gallery. It's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, you know, we have. I remember when I read uh, episode six, and you know, me and and uh, and um, uh, the, Nico, the actor who played Vladimir, we're in the in that basement, mm. and then you hear that voice, and you don't know where it's coming from, on the, and it turns out to be on the, yeah. on, the on the walkie-talkie. I remember that was great writing. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm wondering what kind of research did you do beforehand? Did it, did did Marvel come to you and Netflix come to you and go, "Here is a stack of Daredevil comics." They, yeah, they give me an un, they give me a Marvel Unlimited account, which is one of the great perks of being yeah. in the uh, Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe. And so, yeah, no, I just so I read a lot of comics, and I and I really kind of like wanted to find the different writers and illustrators and, and issues that, that best represented the show that was mm. that, that was being written. It um, seems to be it's, it seemed to be very Frank Miller influenced. Like there's bits there's yeah, bits from all over but Yeah, a lot of Frank Miller. Obviously the the the, the, the costume, the the first in uh, yeah. um, black ninja costume is taken from the Man Without Fear, the John Romita Junior June. Um uh, illustration, but but also the, I, I spent a lot of time reading the Bendis Malieve stuff. Yeah. Um, tonally, I think that feels very spot on for the show we were trying to make. It's very it's very kind of dark. It's very kind of lonely and and uh, it's a very ashamed you know world with a lot of criminal activity going on and and uh, a city that's infected with with uh, with um, dodgy behaviour. And so you know and that and that as again as I say that really fitted in with the kind of show that was the scripts that were coming to me. So yeah. I concentrated on them quite a lot. Yeah. On our show, you do think I I am mostly kind of like movie TV based, but I've got two co-hosts who are really comic book focused. Okay. So every time after we watch a property, they go like, "Here are the comics you should follow up by reading." Okay, great. Oh, that's so very cool. Having now finished the first season of Daredevil, yeah. what would you recommend that I read from? So if you've never read anything, I've re- I've read The Man Without Fear and Born Again. Okay, so yeah. okay, um, yeah, great. So two brilliant ones. Um, yeah. yeah, you got to read Man Without Fear. I, I also encourage people to watch Frank Miller's first run at uh, Daredevil in the six, in the seventies, which was I think it was seventies. Oh God, I better check that. But um, it, that he did with um, Klaus Janssen. Yeah. Um, that's a really really good series. And the first two the, the first two uh, um, episodes, you, Daredevil comes into Peter Parker's world, and then and then we yeah. go off with Daredevil, and we meet. You know some of the great characters and etc. Yeah, everything that Bendis Malieve did together. Um, one of my f- and another one of my favourites is End of Days, which was uh, Bendis Mac um, and Malieve was involved in that as well. So yeah. some really really cool issues there. Okay, and yeah. so just one final question: yeah. um, If Daredevil was going to show up in one Marvel Phase Three movie, which one would you like it to be? Which character would you like to Daredevil spend time with? Is it Spider Man? Um. You know, I'd I, you know, and obviously Daredevil has a history with uh, Black Widow, mm. and I'd I'd love to see that would be an interesting dynamic, not just because Scarlett Johansson plays a part, but <laughs> but I think I'd love to see what that dynamic is, and I think they're quite similar in terms of you know the the, the energies that they bring to the group. Yeah, I think were quite similar, so I'd I'd be very interested to see what that dynamic is. You know, well, you'd have to fight the Hulk for her. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In the past, that's not gone well. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for speaking Thank to you me, so much and um, yeah, congratulations. I'd love the first season oh, so awesome. yeah thank you so much
Well, let's kick off now our spoiler-filled discussion of all 13 episodes of season one of Daredevil. So that was Charlie Cox, who is a thoroughly lovely man. But now we'll we'll get down to the business of discussing him and his show. You know, after being so nice to him to his face, I'm about to tear <laughs> his performance to pieces. Now, let's, let's start by talking about Charlie Cox, James. Are you with me? Did you think he was a really pretty damn good Daredevil? Yeah, he's like, he's he's got the demeanour of Matt Murdock in that he's kind of, he doesn't over overplay it but at the same time you can sense that he knows more than he lets on i liked that at the start you got the sense of him being you know like slightly cheeky his like wry sense of humor and the, the gags about him always knowing when there's a pretty woman <laughs> in the room and being drawn to these damaged but attractive women so stay away from karen page basically <laughs> yeah like he he doesn't even though he has a disability he doesn't let that define him like he's got you know other traits around him and that i think charlie cox's performance sort of reflects that he is more than just just the blind guy. As the show goes forward, there is a lot, I felt anyway, like there was a lot more Daredevil than there was Matt Murdock. And not not necessarily that he's always in the costume, but when he is Matt Murdock, he's focused on Daredevil things. This isn't a show that digs into the lawyering side of Matt or his private life. It's mostly him and his superhero plight. Yeah, it, does, it gets quite intense towards the end as well, doesn't it? Like, it, it definitely, the, the wars between the two characters or the two sides of the character break down pretty much completely by the end of the series. Mm. I can ima- Again, I could imagine, you know, when it comes back for a season two, that that wouldn't necessarily have to be the case at that point. It kind of felt like an arc, uh, a season-long arc of 13 hours of him slowly becoming Daredevil. And it takes him defeating Wilson Fisk at the end to kind of be comfortable that that guy, that alter ego is fully formed it's the the bit where he stands on the building at the very end like that's the first time he's been actively looking for daredevil work isn't it like every other yeah. time he's thought well now i have to get into the costume and beat some people up but that that time he's preemptively in the costume and he's ready to go about that costume <sighs> Such a shame, isn't it? It's just not very good. I mean, when when it leaked online before the season actually started, the day before, you know, <laughs> I was I was um, chatting to one of our mutual friends, Reese, and he was saying, "Oh, what do you think of the costume?" And I was like, "I'm gonna wait to see it in context. I, I'm not gonna rush to any judgment based on you know an out of context still." Yeah. Um, and then you get to episode thirteen and you see it in context and you go, "Ah, it's not, it's not very good." And it's not like it, it just just like a couple of basic things like it didn't red enough it didn't feel red enough to be like recognizably daredevil mm-hmm. and the fact that there are eye holes in the costume <laughs> like what he's daredevil why are there <laughs> i'm doing the thing now where i'm going this isn't the thing that i know from the comics the weird thing is having eye holes actually makes it less convenient because it makes it very obvious that daredevil is blind when he's wearing his black cloth over his eyes no one assumes he's blind so yeah you would imagine just having eye holes leaves him slightly more vulnerable and also slightly more identifiable Mm -hmm. my problem personally with the costume was that it actively undermines the tone of the rest of the series you know you have that fight where he's getting hit with bars and there's sparks flying off him and stuff and it's just suddenly the tone of the series goes from like ultra grit realistic to like power rangers basically and it looks like someone's wearing a homemade christopher nolan batman costume like i said it would be quite nice if he if he was wearing a costume that offered him more protection so that maybe when someone is swinging knives at him it's not slashing him to pieces but at the same time that it's not just ching yeah and he's okay i mean also there's the kind of weird beat as well where melvin potter saying to to daredevil 
you know, the red bits protect you from knives and the black bits are bulletproof. Yeah. And you're like, oh, he can't see colour. He doesn't know what you're saying. <laughs> like, that was that, you know, I know Melvin Potter might not know Daredevil is blind, but I got the feeling that was that line was aimed at the audience rather than the character. Yeah. And then just briefly on the depiction of Daredevil's powers. Because I was thinking about this. I'm not sure in any of the comics that I've read that I've ever seen much visualisation of his powers. I think there might be a bit in Man Without Fear, but obviously the 2003 movie made quite a big deal of visualising Daredevil's world. Do we just get that one scene where we see the, the his world on fire in this? Uh, in this series, yeah, there's yeah. only the one. I mean, it's interesting because in, in Mark, when Mark Wade took over the comics uh, a few years ago, he kind of came up with a sort of new direction for Daredevil and that included a new visual style from I think it was Marcos Martin who basically started doing what they do in the films and like giving you Daredevil's world in sort of a sort of blank radar sense you know visual and i i genuinely expected to see it a lot more in this series yeah um but, but the show the show really took its time about the, the powers in general anyway i mean there was i think it was three or four episodes in before he you know there was a recognition that yes these are superpowers he has he's not actually just awesome at stuff mm-hmm. it's largely not touched upon it's kind of i i liked that stuff in the early episodes it was just look we trust our audience maybe you've never read or seen any daredevil before but you can kind of get this he's a blind guy but he can do awesome stuff you know we'll give you some explanation at some point but for now just appreciate the character appreciate the storytelling and appreciate the adventures that he's on <laughs> but yeah i mean you can you compare it to the 2003 film where they say something like there's literally a line where ben affleck says something along the lines of my enhanced sense of touch gives me super strength and it's yes. like does it how <laughs> how does it yeah, I, I kind of appreciate that. Um, Man Without Fear is a very obvious inspiration for this show. Uh, and, and generally it felt like the tone was very, very Frank Millerish to me, which is something I, you know, mentioned to Charlie Cox in that interview. But did you did you see flashes from other, you know, flash of inspiration from other places in the, uh, in the Daredevil comics? Honestly, it was very sparse compared to, like, the sheer density of material they lifted from Frank Miller's run. Down to incidental characters were named for, like, thugs and stuff who turned up in Frank Miller's run. If no more Daredevil had been written other than Frank Miller's, I feel like they could still have made this TV program. That seemed to permeate its way into the tone as well it's a very i didn't feel like it was i didn't feel like it was like oppressively grimdark i think that would have been my biggest fear of this that it would just have been like overwhelmingly unpleasant i think a lot of it comes down to the performances that there is there is nuance and there is that there is ideas in this show rather than just this is a dark and gritty show yeah did you, did you enjoy christopher nolan's batman <laughs> then we've colored it in the same way it does it feels like an adult show rather than a sort of violent one because like you kind of get a shows that use a lot of violence and really they're aimed at sort of angry teenagers more than grown-ups but this i mean in the early episode foggy was definitely a saving the program from being too po-faced but generally i think they set out to make something that adults would like and that couldn't be watched by children and i think in that regard they succeeded very early on when you were you were writing one of your like episode recaps for den of geek and you asked the question whether the violence was justified or whether it was whether it had a purpose that particular piece i wrote came just after i had watched the episode four i think so like episode two has an exposed bone in when he the guy's arm gets broken in the bowling alley episode three has a spike coming out the back of someone's head and episode four ends with someone's 
head being squashed in a car door. And in fact, I think the the bowling alley and the spike are both episode three, aren't oh, they? Are they? There was, I think that I think the thing that happens in episode two that I was particularly perturbed by was the moment where he is interrogating the guy with Rosario Dawson. Yeah, and, and he's got the knife. Yeah, and he sticks the knife into a like strategically placed nerve in someone's eye. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not sure whether I needed to see that. But having said that, one of, one of the things that I really did appreciate about the violence, and it's something that, you know, this is a problem I have with cinema and, you know, movie classifications in general, is that you can show as much bloodless violence as you want and get like a 12, 12A rating. <laughs> and as soon as you show, show blood or gore, it's like, oh, 15, 18, whatever. I don't understand why violence without consequence is something that's more acceptable than <laughs> violence with consequence. Well, and what I, really, what I really appreciated about this show, I think a couple of early examples aside, like I think like the guy shoving his head on the spike, yes, it's grim and it's nasty, but it serves a narrative point. Like he would rather have that happen to him than face the kingpin. Just from a sort of storytelling perspective, the idea was to show us how surprised and shocked Matt was that that yes. would happen. Yeah. So yeah. that's why they showed us the full, you know, the yeah, full Matt horror. Yeah, like the audience reacts. Yeah, like that, that I can deal with with and the and the violence that does happen to go back to that theme of like actually see seeing the effects of violence you know when matt murdoch as daredevil is injured and severely injured you see the effects of that for three or four episodes afterwards he's mm-hmm. running around holding his ribs or like <laughs> nursing a stab wound he's not captain uh, america with a bleeding lip for the rest of the scene that disappears yeah. immediately afterwards <laughs> yeah there is yeah. There, there is tangible effects of violence um and i i liked I like that the show stuck with that throughout. And speaking of one, so one of the early, very violent, very grim scenes that again I think has a very specific narrative point is Vincent D'Onofrio's kingpin slamming someone's head repeatedly, repeatedly with a car door until it bursts. <laughs> Basically, I remember a lot of chunks falling off, and that was what that was what disturbed me. But let's talk about Kingpin. Let's talk about Vincent Ah, he's so Kingpin. good. I love Charlie Cox in this show. I was a Charlie Cox fan going in and continue to be. But D'Onofrio is something else. He is. And after settling on this show for a couple of weeks, I can fairly confidently say he is the best villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Loki is great, but Kingpin's got the edge. He's just fantastic. The thing I like so much about the performance is how much nuance there is in there. Because if you look back again at the 2003 Daredevil, like Michael Clark Duncan is playing it like straight down the line, like he is just a rich bastard, basically. Yeah, and Duncan's great, but he's playing the part that's written on the page. And yeah, yeah. That is not this kingpin. This kingpin is a guy who truly believes what he's doing. And I keep coming back to the line. It was in the fir- it was in one of the first trailers for the show, but it was like something like just because you're fighting villains doesn't make you the hero. Yeah. And you get the sense for both Daredevil and Kingpin. You know, they're for- they're fighting to make their city a better place, and each of them kind of embraces their position in that towards the end mm-hmm. again to go back to one of to another charlie cox show boardwalk empire it's this great line in the first episode where someone says to nucky you can't be half a gangster <laughs> and the payoff at the end of the second season is when he makes a horrible horrific choice because he knows he can't be half a gangster anymore he has to fully embrace the gangster life and we we get that arc with kingpin but we also get all of this these lovely little character moments all the way through it's such a specific performance and the way he interacts with characters like Wesley but most importantly Vanessa uh, <laughs> really 
elevates him to another level i the thing i like about his performance is that it's you get the sense that he is at heart he is just a ruthless thug and he's trying his very best in every scene to be on his you know on his best behavior he could crush the life out of you with his hands and he wants to but he knows it's probably not a good idea for that and then you get those moments where he really you know he's got the impetus to do that sort of thing and the grin he has on his face when he's beating up daredevil the first time they fight yeah (laughs) it's just hilarious to me because it's like this is what he wants this is what he loves and it's just everything else is i really want to smash my like sledgehammer like fist into you when can i get to that and and this also brings me to it's a question i want to ask you in a minute um which is what was your favorite episode but i I kind of have to tell you about mine first because Mm -hmm. my favorite episode was episode eight uh which is the fist childhood flashback episode which really just focuses on there's not really much matt in the episode at all it's it's so heavy it's called shadows in the glass (laughs) we've got these great flashbacks to fisk's childhood where he's killing his father but it's also these scenes where he's playing opera in his house and making his omelette and garnishing it just perfectly and oh the the way they repeat that sequence and then at the end when vanessa does it and you get the sense that she's disrupted his routine and it's made him a better person Hmm. and like so you can sort of see how their relationship works because he trusts her you know to alter him and i love the way that that relationship is written i was looking forward to scenes with those two together yeah definitely like i the thing i like about vanessa is how she plays uh she plays it as sort of intrigued by fisk rather than like seduced by him like she yeah. doesn't she doesn't see the power uh she sees like the the drive it led me to the point where at the end of that episode i kind of i i ended up taking a little bit of a gap between episode eight and nine after like i think i watched the first four on the first day and the second four <laughs> on the second day uh, and it actually took me a couple of days to get back to it just because you know busy with other stuff but i was at that point going i kind of want kingpin to win <laughs> and not not win in a way that he destroys matt murdoch uh, and and that's that but i kind of was like hey matt could you take down Owlsley and could you take down those characters and and those and just but like leave Fisk to what he's doing so like (laughs) he can ascend to be the legitimate kingpin of crime and you can ascend to be Daredevil and then you know deal with each other later yeah I was surprised that they ended the series with uh, Kingpin being arrested because I got the impression that this was going to be about their rise in tandem yeah but I kind of I, I feel like that at least on a character level the rise for Kingpin was acknowledging that he was a villain and acknowledging the the means that he would have to embrace in the future. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if by the time we get back to a second season, Kingpin might be in jail, but his influence has not waned. when, When he comes out of jail, he has an empire just to step back into and rule. That wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. Yeah. And he's got a sort of nemesis whose life he might want to destroy in the same way his life got taken apart. Um, I was going to save that for the end, but born again would be a fantastic season two, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Um, It just, it seems to me to make some sense, especially when you are dropping a season two of Daredevil in before the Defenders, which they might not have always had the plan to do. You know, you don't want to knock off your plans for what you had for. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Defenders TV show. Mm-hmm. So you could do a, a self-contained Daredevil arc that is perfect within its own length. Yeah. But doesn't mess up those plans. <laughs> oh, Born Again would be great. James, did you have a favourite episode? It would probably be the Kingpin one as well. But in the interest of you know having an interesting discussion i would say my second favorite is probably nelson versus murdoch oh really that's interesting yeah i mean i know the sort of backstory of the characters that's fun that's really fun yeah it's great fun but aside from the wigs (laughs) like eldon henson can put as many wigs on as he likes you're never going to believe that this 37 year old man is in his 20s (laughs) but on the other hand like i love all the hairstyles he goes through and the facial hair and how he gradually goes from like this sort of stoner you know foggy nelson into the lawyer foggy nelson by the end of it and i love both how that episode sets up their friendship even as it's taking it apart in the in the present day and i think to do that with such economy like i think that is probably the best written episode just as a as a single entity like if you wanted to sell anyone on daredevil you could pick that one and say this is the the core of those characters and this is how smart the writing can be as well because you know you don't see a lot of them together and certainly are not not a lot of them having fun together but by by the end of that episode you really feel bad that this friendship has fallen apart yeah what's interesting though and i i am firmly with you everything you've just said but I feel like a lot of people reacted negatively to Foggy. Uh, a lot of people online seemed to find him irritating <laughs> rather than charming and, and thought that he wasn't kind of reflective of the Foggy in the comics. But I, I, I really liked that performance. I thought he brought the right amount of levity. And in fact, I thought that that... It, that was kind of one of the contributing factors to the show being a little bit relentless in the last couple of episodes was that... He was a bit more miserable and less in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and like Karen and Foggy don't always have the most interesting things to do because when Daredevil <laughs> is going around doing his daredeviling and investigating Fisk and getting closer to finding out his identity or getting closer to taking him down, it always feels that what, like, what Foggy and Karen are doing is kind of like a couple of episodes behind. It's like, well... Matt achieved that a few episodes back. I'm not I'm not sure what you going and helping out this woman in her apartment is gonna do other than keeping you on screen and occasionally making the tone a little bit lighter. I did get a bit of a season two uh Willow and Xander five from there, like, oh we'll just look through some papers while the hero's out punching people and getting answers. <laughs> yeah, um, but I liked I liked them. I liked the performances. I would like to have seen a little bit more of them. Uh, oh, sorry, a little bit more of them actually contributing to plot. Because, like, when when Karen's off investigating Fisk uh, killing his father, 
And I'm like, well, I mean, that's all well and good, you finding that out. But like, if you put that information out there, what what's it going to... Yeah, that was, that was a bit of a misstep, wasn't it, with the entire plot? Because eventually they just have characters say to her, like, what what do you think this will achieve? Like, yeah. it, it's useless to us. And I think, it, to be fair, it undersells Karen as a character that she believes so hard in this obviously useless information. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just just quickly I want to mention how Foggy as a character f- the, the depiction of Foggy is quite different to the comics like in in the source material he's a lot more sort of bumbling and nerdy yeah. um, he's certainly not a wisecracker but at the same time the thing they kept was that he's just sort of affable enough that when he busts out his like lawyer skills you're really impressed and I, one of the things yeah, I, I love in the comics is when uh, Foggy Nelson goes into a courtroom and just demolishes someone and yeah. They did that sort of thing a couple of times in this series, like especially when he when he talks to Marcy. Aside from the fact that he unnecessarily insults her appearance, uh, yeah, the bit where he yeah. basically takes her apart, you know, from a legal standpoint. Yeah, I enjoyed that scene, and it kind of it kind of does make up for the lack of Matt lawyering. Because yeah. I liked Matt in court. Like, I loved his closing statement at the end of episode three. I was like, oh, yeah, this is fun alter ego stuff. Like, this guy, actually, there is a take on this superhero in the other side of his life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because because the MCU doesn't have a bunch of characters who have alter egos. No, we've got Thor and Iron Man and Captain America, and they are always Thor and Iron Man and Captain America. Yeah. You know, they're, they're always those characters. So it was like an interesting twist. And it's something that I'm not sure we've we've seen many alter egos on screen recently. Because, you know, like the X-Men don't have them. <laughs> Probably it's been limited to Spider-Man. And I, mean, I was going to say, like Spider-Man and Superman are the classic secret identity characters. And Daredevil was essentially just Stanley saying, oh, we want Bill Everett to draw some comics. Let's make a Spider-Man clone. And that's where Daredevil came from. So, <laughs> Um... What did you think of this within the MCU? What I liked was how they used the sort of destruction from the Avengers as the motivating factor. Because like when Daredevil was created, Hell's Kitchen was a bad part of Manhattan. And now the idea of a bad part of Manhattan just seems ridiculous. Yeah. That's really smart. That's yeah, so that smart. that is smart. That's really good. Like that's using continuity as a as a precision tool. At the same time, the tone is so different that the times they do mention other MCU characters, like when you get Wesley sort of mocking people for uh, the gangsters for not being mm. beaten by someone with a magic hammer and suit and yeah, stuff. Yeah. I just feel like they're in the those sort of references are in there for the audience rather than the the characters, and it it just brings you out at the moment. Really, I'm kind of glad you said that because I mean we've been agreeing too much. Um, <laughs> I I love that this is part of the MCU and I I love that it is tonally feels so different from the rest of the MCU that we know because I think it's something that will benefit this world later in the run. You've certainly got a lot of films that feel very similar tonally. Like, I like that this exists within the MCU but it's separate. They'll give you a couple of winks and nods and reminders but for me, as, as distracting as a line like that may feel, I thought it was almost just a nice reminder that, hey, this stuff is happening and it's happening in the world of the MCU. (laughs) And this is not the shit that Iron Man is going to fly down from Avengers Tower to have a look at. (laughs) Someone else needs to be dealing with this stuff. Because I bet if Iron Man met Wilson Fisk, he'd go like, oh, yeah, he's pumping money into this economy. I'm certainly not going to spend any time worrying about him. On that point, though, it bothered me because there were some other references to other characters, like you had Ben Yorick had, say, the the Hulk headlines on his wall and stuff. Like, when Claire is talking to Matt about his powers, Hmm. she never says... 
like oh so are you one of those superheroes they have now and it just sort of it seems like it's hindering the show as much as it's helping it like if it was explicitly its own continuity you wouldn't be worried that she hadn't brought it up it certainly helps the mcu more than the more than it helps the show yeah but i do wonder whether further down the line it will help daredevil and also, you know, it establishes the idea that this already exists in a shared universe. So when Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Iron Fist turn up, you won't bat an eyelid at that. Do you think they're going to keep these shows in their own cul-de-sac, though, or whether they're going to turn up in, like, Infinity War or something? I, I'm firmly of the belief that by the time we get to Infinity War, any character who has ever shown up in the MCU <laughs> who is either alive, dead, from a TV show, from a <laughs> current TV show, ex-TV show will have some form of cameo across those two films. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if the Defenders, depending on, you know, if they stay in this realm of successfulness have a, a decent a decent sized role in this is where we go back to the tone of daredevil though because can you imagine with all respect to the mcu films which i love they are aimed at children as much as adults so can you have daredevil turning up in infinity war alongside the avengers when his tv show is basically 13 episodes of a guy getting cut to ribbons yeah i absolutely think you can because you you just commit to the tone of the property that you're in i think daredevil could show up in a spider-man film but daredevil would not be able to be crushing skulls in that he would have to (laughs) adhere to the rules of the show that he's in and i don't see any reason why that character can't show up and exist within the tone of the rest of the mcu and you know it doesn't mean that he's not still doing all that other stuff while he's off in his own adventures I, i i honestly think if he showed up in civil war for a scene or two um as oh god how how good would it be if in civil war we just hear oh and this guy in hell's kitchen has just had his identity revealed <laughs> and we go Whoa? and it turns out that born again is happening mm-hmm. uh, that would be great no i'm i completely agree i would love it but i'm i'm thinking more as a studio like if you're the branding guy going like yeah can we put daredevil next to captain america like oh try and find a picture where he's not got his um gash down the side of his head or whatever <laughs> yeah I, I mean i i think you can um let's talk about one of, one of the talking points we've got is rosario dawson and her character and i mean i, mean, I think you were curious as to why she's in it so little. yeah it seemed to me like they were setting her up as like essentially another female lead well episode two is all yeah that. episode two yeah, spends so, like i love that episode like especially the way they they really take their time to develop that relationship by doing sort of these long conversational two-handers that just on network television would would have been sliced up which is is something the show commits to the whole way through long scenes whether that's the fight scene which there's no point talking about the corridor fight scene <laughs> yeah, Every, everyone's acknowledged that that's awesome but also yeah just six eight ten minutes of two characters stuck in a room talking to each other mm-hmm. yeah fantastic. like i love that i love that stuff and after that episode i just sort of felt like they would bring her into it more and now it seems more like she's been put in that world so she can turn up and help other superheroes in different netflix series yes uh, that that would be my guess i would guess that she's probably signed up for like a season's worth of television uh, like a 13 maybe 13 hours maybe yeah, 10 hours okay because there's there's that episode is very conspicuous where i thought it's at the start of nelson versus murdoch he goes, <laughs> yeah. he goes oh your friend claire was just here now she's gone and she shows up in the next episode but not in that one and the thing about that episode as well is like the last Last time Matt and Claire spoke, they basically yes argued and weren't talking again. And then she appears off camera, patches him up, and disappears again. And it's sort mm. of like you see why they're doing it, especially if the episode has to focus on Nelson and Murdoch. Like they, you know, you don't need that scene with Claire in an episode that's not about Claire. 
And she's very, I mean, Rosario Dawson's great. My theory on that would be, essentially, you know, Claire is looking after that flat for a friend whose cat she is looking after. Essentially, that that would be Jessica Jones's flat and that Claire is good friends with Jessica Jones. <laughs> and Claire's ex-boyfriend is Luke Cage, who she introduces to Jessica Jones. And that she's, she's almost like a bridging mechanism across the show. So yes, she could then show up to look after Luke or Jessica when they're hurt. And then presumably, you know, Luke is friends with the Iron Fist in the comics, I think. So presumably she would have a link to that as well. Yeah, you know, it would make sense to have... Like, I was surprised that they went for that direction because I was completely expecting a love triangle between Matt and Foggy, Matt and, and, Foggy and Karen. Yeah. And while they kind of did elements of that, like you, you do get the sense that Karen's not interested in Foggy because she's more in- interested in him, Matt, but only in yes, very vague yeah. terms. It wasn't the story they wanted to tell in no. the show. I mean, which is fair enough because, like, not every female character has to be attracted to Charlie Cox. Yeah, <laughs> even if all of the audiences, <laughs> I, I certainly was. Um, <laughs> can we talk about Ben Urich? Because this this was another interesting use of a character. So Ben Urich shows up, and I think notably, you know, Von D. Curtis Hall, who plays him, is an African American man. So Ben Urich in this telling is black and ben is a character who in daredevil and spider-man comics that i've read i have really enjoyed particularly particularly daredevil comics though yeah the, a kind of investigative muckraker who yeah. you know he goes for the stories and then he's got the ethics to follow them through or not in some cases yeah and i thought he was used economically at first but you know increasingly well as the show went on and i actually thought the final showdown with kingpin was a particularly effective scene because I'd really grown to like Ben and this scene I thought had that added level of shock because as a it was the, kind of the first time where I'm like I know the source material I'm pretty sure that Ben is safe <laughs> and then Kingpin strangles yeah. him to death and it's a fantastic again one of those fantastic two-handed scenes and the the shock of what happens is palpable but at the same time we're 12 episodes into a TV show where they've introduced this really great black character and killed him so it's kind of like recasting recasting a white character as black but then making him expendable i mean one of the things that was great about ben yorick was that he didn't let being like he wasn't race swapped in order for his race to define him no like he was in every way ben yorick who just happened to be played by a black actor you know there are people who complain um, you know we've covered this before about whether peter parker can be played by a black actor or not and the marvel universe was created in the 60s when by a bunch of white guys so obviously all their leads and characters are predominantly white so it's fine to to swap it around a bit to be more reflective of modern attitudes i just thought it was so like i can just imagine the disappointment of watching daredevil and thinking oh i mean i don't really have to imagine it the disappointment of watching daredevil and thinking oh great this comic book white character has been replaced by a black guy it hasn't changed the character at all and he's a likable awesome really good character and he's going to be around on screen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward. And oh, okay. yeah. I mean, I do, I do wonder if it's one of the ways that the Netflix model hurts things because obviously all of these shows were written and filmed in advance whereas mm. if this had been a week-to-week thing people would have gone oh you know actually ben yorick is really landing with yeah with yeah. the audience let's not kill you know let's not waste the trump card of killing him for shock value yeah like on one side you get the inf- the authorial intent stays intact of this character you love is brutally and shockingly killed 
on the other mm. hand it would be better for the series as a whole if it stayed alive yeah i mean that's one of the great things i think about network tv is the way that the authors can respond to the fans almost in real time mm-hmm. one of the last things i want to ask you before we we indulge in a little bit of uh, speculation about season two <laughs> one of the things that struck me i say this kind of uh, reluctantly because it's uh, i really love the pacing of maybe individual episodes here but i couldn't help but feeling by the time i came to the end of 13 hours of daredevil that they had told maybe seven to ten hours of story across those 13 hours i mean it's very it's very deliberately paced so i you know i i understand that but i'm not sure it needed to be 13 hours and i certainly felt that come the last two or three episodes there was a bit of a quality dip i don't know if you if you felt that uh yeah i did i got the sense that the the last three episodes were kind of just playing out as we'd expect i found the the last episode in particular was very rushed and i sort of thought the plot wise the investigation didn't really dovetail into the ending that we got like the idea that that one guy could bring down the kingpin when he owns most of the police doesn't really work for me and like throughout the series i was like how are they going to arrest the kingpin when all the police are crooked and it turns yeah. out they just went to one guy who wasn't and apparently that's enough yeah and i also thought just just in like in terms of we spoke you know we briefly mentioned that corridor fight at the start and i thought the action in the like first few episodes i mean like i mean i i think a couple of people might have been put off with some of the by some of the ninja stuff in the middle but i <laughs> I, I really like that as well i thought it was a cool way of like slowly introducing more comic yeah i mean i love the, the, the comic booky mythology stuff of daredevil so as much of that they can put in the better yeah so when stick turns up that's a great episode. yeah i love that one. i mean because i basically thought five through ten was like the show you know hitting everything one through mm-hmm. four was good but it really stepped up five through ten and then yeah. after that kind of fell off so even the action like there is a there is a kind of like parkour scene in episode 12 <laughs> where where daredevil is running across roofs and he's Awful. It's a bit much, isn't it? There are bits where he does like sideways flips when he could just be leaping over something. It's a bit yeah, yeah, but it's but it's not shot well, and it's very obviously a stunt double, and there is no <laughs> kind of like you don't feel like he's zipping across rooftops. It's like he's jogging, and Stephen Estenight directed that finale, and I thought the fight between kingpin and matt especially as uh, kingpin and daredevil especially given you talking about how great it was when he gleefully smashed daredevil's <laughs> face in at the end of um at the end of was that episode nine i think yeah, yeah. it's the ninja episode um, isn't it it felt really flat just what oh so we're just ending in an alleyway with these two guys fighting and yeah, they didn't and seem they, like the invention that there was earlier on the like final blow is a kind of slow motion hammer drop on uh, kingpin's face it's kind of what i would have liked to have seen is instead of the kind of trailing investigation at the end is more stuff in the courtroom towards the end because that's what I felt really was lacking like Daredevil is half lawyer mm. and if he's not doing doing actually actual lawyering in the finale that's I think that's a problem should we should we talk about what we would like to see in uh, season two because <laughs> I think it ties quite nicely into that I mean we've mentioned that wouldn't it be great if they did Born Again because I think it's particularly the world and the tone they've established here Born Again would fit really seamlessly into this But I would really like the idea that if you're going to do 13 episodes, like maybe three or four episodes, because this this season kind of has like a, it's, you have to kind of wrangle it into it a little bit, but it kind of has a three act structure Mm -hmm. um, in the way a movie does, but just very, very slowly paced. I kind (laughs) of like, I would like the idea of maybe doing the first four or five episodes of Daredevil season two to be just Daredevil, Daredeviling around Hell's Kitchen, maybe taking on some like fun villain (laughs) of the week. Yeah, take on some <laughs> take on some villain of the weeks. Maybe Owlsley returns. 
<laughs> but like, and if you want to do Bullseye, if you want to introduce Bullseye or Electra, introduce them for an episode and have one little adventure with that character when he goes off and that he's doing his lawyering by day and his daredeviling by night. But have the stuff going on in the background of, you know, Fisk strings is, being pulled yeah. by Kingpin and then dive into that story. And I think that I think you could do a I think you could do a really nice mix in Daredevil of story of the week added you know, that that's the one thing that I would have liked a little bit more of here, and I think you, there would be a potential to do that. Yeah, I mean it's weird because one of the things I didn't like about Agents of Shield for the first half of the first series was their over reliance on like story of the week plots. And yet mm. I think if it was done right in the kind of Buffy style, yes. Daredevil would be a perfect fit for it. And we've got I mean we now know that Stephen Estenite is not not returning to show in the second season instead we've got doug petrie i kind of get the feeling that stephen denight has actually gone on to develop defenders and that's okay. why he's not, like there's no announcement of that it's just a sort of feeling of if i yeah, was if i was netflix what would i be doing right now and i'd be taking the critical hit and giving you know giving the end game to that guy yeah that's that's a very good idea it does seem interesting that denight's like i have prior commitments but i can't tell you what they are yeah <laughs> but generally i, I mean i felt myself waning through the last three episodes of daredevil feeling that it kind of ran out of steam a little bit having said that the pieces are there particularly charlie cox and vincent d'onofrio to make me very keen for more of this yeah even as the writing sort of struggles towards the end it kind of coasts by in the performances really doesn't it like though all those characters the ensemble is so strong in every regard that you can forgive when it gets a bit fluffy towards the end Okay, well, I think that is it for this bonus episode. Get ready for the usual spiel. If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And if you've already subscribed, then please leave us a rating or review, and we will give you a shout-out on a future show. Uh, You can find episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com, panelbeats.co.uk, or, as we're a Film Divider podcast, at filmdivider.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at cu underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. I'll be back this time next week with a mini-sode featuring my reactions to Seven James's Age of Ultron comic book recommendations and to Charlie Cox's Daredevil recommendation, which is really cool. Um, <laughs> and we will have a bumper crop of uh, superhero movie news by that point as well. See you next week. Goodbye. It's said that the West was built on legends, and that legends are a way of understanding things greater than ourselves. Forces that shape our lives, events that defy explanation. Individuals whose lives soar to the heavens or fall to the earth. This is how legends are born. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Ghost Rider.